Hello, I'm Kate Chabot. Welcome to an extra edition of BFBS SITREP. Forty years ago, thousands of British troops were at the end of a voyage stretching thousands of miles across the Atlantic and at the start of a six-week land war. The amphibious landings of Paras and Royal Marines on the Falkland Islands were arguably the key moment of the campaign that ended Argentina's invasion. On land, the troops met little resistance that day, but Argentine air attacks downed two British helicopters and sank a Royal Navy ship, HMS Ardent, claiming more than 20 lives. The frigate was captained by Admiral Lord West, then a commander. He's been telling me the story of that day in detail, how the ship's company battled fires and continued to fight back before he finally had to give the abandoned ship order. Events that he says continued to affect him, the men he led, and their families. Lord West, really good to speak to you. Just start by telling us what you can remember about the hours before the attacks. You knew this was going to be a huge day, didn't you? Uh, Yes, absolutely. We were, with the amphibious force, the decision we made that the amphibious landing would take place in San Carlos water. It was a protected waterway um, surrounded by hills and uh, therefore uh, quite difficult to attack with missiles, for example, like Exeter. They just wouldn't have worked in that area. Uh, And it was well clear of most of the Argentinian land forces. There was a small group on Fanning Head, which was a headland just to the north of it. Um, So that decision was made and we we steamed in in a very close, tight formation through the night before. This was the night of the, the 20th into the early hours of the 21st. Um, and the weather was absolutely claggy and misty and you really couldn't see any distance at all, which was lovely and we hoped it would stay like that on the 21st. I was detached ahead of the force with Antrim. Um, I had to go down to position myself in a place called Grantham Sound because I have a lot had a long-range gun and I was going to be supporting a diversionary raid by special forces and also... Um, hitting an airfield at Goose Green to stop Argentinian aircraft taking off from there to attack the force. The Antrim was bombarding the, the, the Argentinian position on Fanning Head. So we went ahead through in pitch black, and then as the day dawned, we by then were as close as we could get to Goose Green, which was in amongst the, the big kelp beds, this lovely billowing kelp that grows close inshore. Uh, and the day dawned, absolute, dawned absolutely bright, and... We knew, we knew we were in for trouble. The thing I'd briefed my ship's company was that the biggest threat to us in the waters there were going to be uh, Argentinian fast uh, fighter ground attack aircraft. And with such a clear day, it couldn't have been better conditions for them to conduct an attack. So we, we sort of started engaging Goose Green, firing our, our gun. We destroyed five Pucara aircraft on the airfield. We destroyed most of a napalm dump, which is an illegal weapon, of course, but would have been awful if it had been dropped on our troops. And we enabled the special forces to withdraw, even though they were under pressure from what was a larger number of Argentinians in Goose Green than people considered. And uh, and that was the start of the day. And then the air raid started. And when you were first attacked, what happened? What was the first you knew of it? Uh, the first attack we was by uh, an A4 uh, that came in and dropped... Uh, dropped a bomb which bounced and went over the top of the ship and he went so close to the t- mast that he knocked my target indication radar off kilter and someone had to go up the mast to try and fix it after that and then it, I'd finished my task of bombarding and I was uh, told by the Commodore to move into the centre of 
um, Falkland Sound um, to split up air raids coming from the south. And we were then attacked by numerous aircraft, Mirages and A4s over the period of the day um, and hit by a number of bombs. And then finally, by just as it was getting dark, um, the ship had lost all power and steerage way. I dropped an anchor so as not to go ground. Um, uh, I had major fires on board. I, as I said, lost all power. I was sinking by the stern, uh, and a, there was a, a very high likelihood that the magazine would explode. And I made the reluctantly made the decision to abandon ship. And how long did the attacks take? Well, they went on through most of the day, and but each attack was very, very fast. If you think these aircraft were uh, flying very, very fast, they were scared of getting shot down. Indeed, the ones that caused the most damage to me at the end, the last few attacks, were American A-4 aircraft, but flown by um, the Argentinian Navy. And of the four that attacked us, um, uh, three were shot down uh, by Harriers, which were just waiting for them. Once they'd gone past my ship, they could be easily bounced and uh, shot down. And one of them was uh, shot down because my canteen manager had, had managed to shoot some holes in its wing, which is where its fuel tank was, and it didn't have enough fuel to go back to the Argentine and had to fly over towards Stanley to land. And there the Argentinians kindly shot it down for us because they misidentified it. So I told my canteen manager that he had effectively done it. And when you made that decision to abandon ship, what was it that made you realise that that was your only reasonable option left? Well, we had, as I say, I was briefed by, I got my remaining heads of department together. One had been killed already. And uh, it was quite clear we had no power. It was therefore impossible to fight the fire properly. There was a real danger of explosion. I'd lost uh, my CCAT missile system. We'd blown up in the air. The CCAT aimer was... Actually injured on the lying injured on the bridge, and uh, the uh, it landed on the flight deck, killing killing one of my officers there. The Lynx helicopter had been blown over the side. The aircrew had been decimated by shrapnel when one of the bombs had gone off there. The um, the hangar had been split wide open. Um, the uh, damage control headquarters had water pouring into it, and it was impossible to to function properly. Um, and it was quite clear to me that my main armament wasn't working. The only guns I had left by then were 20mm Ehrlichans um, and, uh, and GPMG. And it was quite clear to me that as a fighting unit, uh, we didn't really exist without huge amounts of work. We couldn't save the ship without massive assistance from you know, other, other, other forces, other ships and things. And I didn't want to lose any more of my men. I already knew I'd lost a number of my men. Um, and although I love my ship, I, I also, you know, love my people and they, they're just as important in a sense. And so very reluctantly, I made that decision. How devastating is it to have to make that decision? Uh, very, very devastating, I have to say. Um, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, it sort of tortured me, uh, for a period. I, I, it's interesting. I think this issue of effective action and trauma on people was not really understood. It certainly wasn't understood after the First and Second World War, and it was just beginning vaguely to be understood around the time of the Falklands. But I remember saying to my wife that um, I thought I'd got over this jolly well, and she said this was some time later, and she said you were very different for about three years, and certainly for a couple of years, quite often I'd have a nightmare 
um, in which uh, really the nightmare was in, you know, making the decision, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Would this have saved more lives? Would this have done this to the ship? And I had those very, very regularly indeed. And, uh, and normally now they don't happen at all. But interestingly, actually, I had one last night for the first time for ages, I think because there's been a lot of uh, stuff about the 40th anniversary and uh, mm. it just brings it up deep down in your mind. And as I say, most people are able to get over this, but some people can't and they need help. That's the thing. Do, do you think you suffered from PTSD then? I, I wouldn't claim that it was PTSD. I'm just saying it had an impact on me. Mm. Um, and as I say, and most people, most, I mean, human, be human beings are pretty amazing, aren't they? Most human beings can get over these things. They get over them themselves. But there are a small number who, who can't do that and they need help. And uh, one of my sailors, for example, we didn't realise he had been badly affected. He was also life and soul of our reunions. Um, but he'd been on a on a, a headset listening down to, to headquarters one. So he was hearing screaming and people down there who were, you know, suffering. And he had sort of been hearing all of this. Um, and uh, and uh, he, only a few years ago, suddenly this... Clearly, it was PTSD, and we gave him. He was able to get proper help then, because we can do that now. But even with that proper help, sadly, he committed suicide. So it does affect some people, I'm afraid. And when you look back now, how do you feel about it now that you know what that sacrifice achieved? Well, I'm very, very proud of my ship and my and my people. We have a reunion every year. Um, we're very, very close. Um, I think they performed remarkably. They were very, very young. The average age was 23. Um, for all of them, apart from me, it was the first time in action. None of them had been in action before. Um, and I think they performed very well. And what the ships did was remarkable. The, the thin grey line of frigates were doing not quite what they were intended for, which they were not intended to protect um, a landing force from fighter ground attack aircraft close to the land. Most of our frigates, um, and mine, for example, our radars didn't work close to land. So we were using a secondary mode of fire control. But because they were there, the huge number of raids, I think there were 63 raids the first day, uh, 17 against my ship, for example, they were attacking our frigates, which were outside San Carlos, and therefore not attacking the amphibious ships. And we landed the amphibious forces, apart from the shooting down of a gazelle. And uh, basically the land forces were put ashore over a period of, uh, from the 21st of May to the 25th of May, 5,000 ashore, 5,000 tonnes of equipment, guns, ammunition, without loss, which then, once they were ashore like that, there was no, we knew we were going to win then. Uh, now, the the thin grey line of frigates like mine took huge damage over that period. I was sunk, Antelope was sunk, Coventry was sunk, um, Argonaut was badly damaged, Antrim was damaged, but they did their job, um, and I think it was remarkable, because otherwise... There would have been lots of dead Royal Marines and paratroops, and we would and we would not have been able to take the Falklands. So I have huge pride in that, and I make sure that my people understand that. And and it's interesting. Last week, um, uh, I met up with the the son of one of my people who was killed, uh, a man called Roberts. He was known as Taffy Roberts on board. He's a Welshman, um, and I, I wrote letters to all the next of kin and. Uh, obviously to parents and wives and, 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 and partners. But when it was children, I wrote a letter to them, which was to be opened when they were 18 and when they were to be given their father's medal at the same time to hold it. And I discovered that this chap, I hadn't 
her head or tail of him since then. He was one of the people where their family didn't get involved with the reunion. Um, this had meant a huge amount to him, and he was trying to come to terms himself with his father dying when he was two years old. And it was very moving, I must say, and I, able, I was able to explain to him how much had been achieved by people like his father um, in what they were doing and how proud we should be of that because we basically were, it wasn't just to do with keeping the Falkland Islands, it was standing up to a dictatorship that is a bully and it's so red redolent actually of what's happening today in the Ukraine. And are there any lessons to take away for today's armed forces from the loss of HMS Ardent? Um, well, I think there, there are always lessons learnt, but I think a lot of those ones were almost self-evident. As I say, you know, they were, they were not designed, these ships were not designed to work close to the shore uh, against attacks by fast jets. Um, if, they, if, if the fast jets had attacked me out in the open sea, I'd have shot down a lot more of them because that's our systems were designed to work out in the North Atlantic fighting the Soviet Union. Um, so there, are, there were certain lessons there. There were lessons about needing uh, radars that do work close to land, and now we have got those. There were lessons about improving our anti-air warfare capability, and uh, we did that. But effectively, in the, in the days, 1st to 25th of May, the Royal Navy in, in there, and, and the Harriers were crucially important, the Sea Harriers, so the, the carrier, the lesson of, the lesson of leading carriers absolutely was driven home. Um, we stopped the Argentinian Air Force in its tracks. We destroyed 27 of their fast jets. Something like 35 or 40 were damaged and couldn't be used anymore. After the 25th of May, although there were some horrible attacks, the large-scale attacks stopped. I mean, the, the most horrible one, of course, was the one on Sir Galahad, but that was a, a raid by about four aircraft. Um, so I think, yes, there were lessons learned. I mean, the carrier thing was very important. We need carriers if you, you couldn't conduct... We could not have conducted the operations in the uh, South Atlantic and, and retaken the Falklands without aircraft carriers. And it was very nip and tuck because we only had a small number of the aircraft for, uh, for the carriers. And I think that's a lesson we really need to learn today. We need to get the full stock of aircraft for our carriers because those are the, the primary weapon systems. So there are, there are lessons, yes. It's incredible talking to you because it sounds like even though it's 40 years ago, you remember it in incredible detail. Yes, well, it's, uh, it, it, it is etched on your mind. It's, it's uh, you know, th that is a fairly, is a fairly fundamental thing um, in your life. Um, and, uh, you know, it had a huge impact on my, uh, uh, on my life. Um, and the loss of, I mean, one of the things as captain, they're, you know, they're your people. You know, those boys were my people. And I lost 22 of my boys and I had some 30 or so uh, injured out of 204, um, you know, that is etched on you. You, you. That is a responsibility you have. My other responsibility was for my ship, and I never, ever intended that I would uh, lose my ship. I have to say, my wife, I think when we got back to the UK, I think she was sort of, she was worried and nervous about things. <laughs> I remember mm -hmm. she said, she said to me, shouldn't you have gone down with your ship as the captain? <laughs> I hope I hope she didn't mean it, but I mean. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, so these things are etched on etched on your brain, aren't they? Admiral Lord West, thank you so much for your time. Not at all. This is Zidrev.
The government has now decided in an exclusive new BFBS podcast that a large task force will sail as soon as preparations are complete. Experience the 1982 Falklands conflict through the eyes of those who were there at the time. This is serious. We started action stations training, gun training. And the people that live and serve there now. Seeing those ships just burning away, that memory will never leave me. Falklands 82. Stories from the South Atlantic. Hear new episodes every Tuesday. Find it at bfbs.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.